Well, good morning, everybody, and Merry Christmas to you. I am so glad that all of you chose to join us here as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the light of the world. You know, the Sunday before Christmas is always a special day at Plum Creek, and this year is no exception. For example, I'm wearing a tie this morning, so that's already special. All right. As I look around the room, though, I see that all of you are looking sharp, too. We got a classy group here this morning. But you know, when you look at the outside of a person, you don't always know what's happening on the inside. And as we sit here today, December 23rd, two days before Christmas, I'd love to know what's going on inside your head and in your heart. On this Christmas Sunday, are you full of joy and anticipation? Because you know that's kind of the expectation for this time of year. And when I think back to my childhood, I'd say that's exactly how I felt around December 23rd, 24th, 25th. Lots of joy, lots of anticipation. But it's kind of funny though. Things change as you get older. Life gets more complicated. And you find yourselves dealing with challenges you never knew about as a kid. So again, I'd love to know where you're coming from today. Are you excited about Christmas or... Is life sort of getting in the way of your joy? Right now, I know that many of us are dealing with stress or disappointment or loneliness. And then for some of us, Christmas is always a tough season now because every celebration is tangled up with grief. We have memories of people who aren't here right now, aren't here anymore. And it's impossible to just be happy without being sad at the same time. So, if this season is complicated for you, like it is for many people, here's the question I'm asking this morning. What difference does Christmas make? Can the story of Jesus' birth really give me joy right here and right now? Well, I believe this story has the power to do exactly that. With everything in me, I believe that Jesus is the only source of true joy or peace or hope. So here's what I want to do. I want to read just a few verses from Luke chapter 2. This is the heart of the Christmas story. And as I read this, I'm going to ask that you follow along with me. And let's see if these words make any kind of difference in our hearts. So here we go. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So there you go. That's the heart of the Christmas story. And now let me ask you, do you have any more joy than you did Two minutes ago. It's quite possible that you do. And if so, I'm really happy about that. 
But it's also possible that you heard those words and there wasn't much of a change in your heart. And if that's the case, why why is that? Why didn't that story make more of a difference? Well, I'll give you a couple of possibilities. One possibility is that you got a little distracted while I was reading. Um, Maybe your mind started drifting and you got to thinking about lunch or football or those last couple presents that you haven't bought yet. And if that's you, you're not alone. I've been there myself. It's very easy to get distracted. But there's another possibility, and this one may be even more likely. This story may just seem a little too familiar. I was having that problem a few days ago. You see, I've been in ministry for a long time now, and I did some calculating this week. Um, I figure I've preached about Christmas or taught about Christmas dozens of times. I'd say 40 to 50 times would be a conservative estimate. And as I came back to Luke chapter 2 this week, I caught myself thinking, what am I going to say that I haven't already said? I've come at this story from so many different angles, and I'm pretty much out of fresh ideas. So I was falling into a trap that is all too common. For many of us at Christmas, the good news is in danger of becoming old news. It happened to me. But then at some point, it hit me. I don't need to come at this story from a different angle. I just need to rediscover why the good news is so good in the first place. I don't want to come this close to Jesus and completely miss the significance of who he is and what he's done and why all of that matters to me. But you know what? This danger is very common. Ever since Jesus came into this world, people have gotten close to him and missed him completely. One example would be uh, a little argument that I witnessed over 20 years ago in Bethlehem, of all places. Here's how it happened. Not long after I left college, I had the chance to go to Israel with my parents and my brother, who, by the way, are here with us today. This was an amazing trip. But the moment I'm thinking about took place in the town of Bethlehem in one of the oldest church buildings in the world. It's called the Church of the Nativity. And the original structure dates back to the 300s. Now, according to the stories, this church was built over the location where Jesus was born. And when you visit, you enter through that little doorway at the base of the far wall in that photo. And then once you're inside, you can make your way back to the main altar where you'll find a set of stairs leading down to a little basement called the grotto. And this is supposedly the exact spot where Jesus was born. There is a silver star on the ground to mark the location. Now, when I went to Israel, uh, we were a part of a large tour group, and our guide was a Palestinian guy named Jerry. And Jerry led us down the stairs into the grotto, and we were standing together in this little basement. We had pretty much the same viewpoint that you see in that photo, and um, we had entered by those stairs on the right. That was supposed to be the entrance. So then the stairs on the left, that's the exit. That's how you leave. But then all of a sudden, things got pretty crowded. First, a group from the Armenian Orthodox Church came down those stairs on the right with their flowing robes, and they started to perform a ceremony in front of the Silver Star. Uh, They were praying and chanting. They went through a bunch of different rituals. 
I didn't understand any of it. Um, Before long, though, the situation escalated because a third group came down, and this time they entered through those stairs on the left. Now, they weren't supposed to do that, right? Because that's the exit. Well, we were told that this group was led by an archbishop from Poland. He was a big deal. And once his entourage got down into the grotto, things were getting really tight. But then at this point, the Armenians were still chanting and praying. Our group was squeezed against the back wall. But all of a sudden, this archbishop started into his own separate ceremony. The Armenians did not take kindly to being interrupted, so they started arguing with the Polish group. Meanwhile, our tour guide, Jerry, decided he had it up to here with all these religious ceremonies, so he marched up to a member of the Polish group and told them to go back up the way they came. Well, that person told Jerry he had no business trying to give orders to the archbishop, and then Jerry yelled back, I don't care if he is Pope, he should wait his turn. (laughs) Now, do you see the irony in all of this? You have three separate groups And supposedly, everyone was there to commemorate the birth of a Savior who brings peace and joy to anyone who's willing to receive it. And we were supposedly standing at the very spot where Jesus was born. But on that day, the grotto of the nativity was pretty short on peace or joy. This is what I'm talking about. We can encounter the story of Jesus and completely miss him. We can be in the presence of Jesus and still completely miss him. I don't want that to happen to any of us today, including myself. Here's what I've decided. If the story of Christmas does not fill me with amazement and wonder and gratitude, it's time to go back and see it with fresh eyes. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to dive back into the Christmas story, but this time we're going to slow down a little bit. We'll try to remove as many distractions as possible. And in our minds, let's try to go back in time. Let's imagine, what would it have been like to be in Bethlehem on the night when Jesus was born? What would it have been like to stand among the shepherds as the angel appeared and announced that the long-awaited Messiah had finally arrived? I'll tell you one thing, if we had been there, none of us would have been distracted, and none of us would have called it old news. Now, when we read from Luke chapter 2 a few minutes ago, we left off at verse 7. Mary had just placed Jesus in the manger. And I want to read, not from the beginning of chapter 2, I want to read on, starting with verse 8, which is where we meet the shepherds. But before we do that, I want to set the stage a little. I'd like us to lower all the lights in the room except for the field of stars behind me. That's great. Thank you. And now, let's picture ourselves standing in a field just outside of the little town of Bethlehem, standing among the shepherds. And let's remember that these events really happened to ordinary people like you and like me. Are you ready? Okay, let's read on Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, just a word about these shepherds. We don't know any of them by name. We do know that none of them would have been rich or powerful 
You could think of them as blue-collar workers in this ancient economy. And in general, shepherds were not respected in the society of that time. Uh, Some people painted them with a broad brush. They said, ah, shepherds, they're unreliable. You can't trust them. It didn't help that their work kept them from participating in many of the Jewish religious rituals because that made them ceremonially unclean. So they're outcasts. The bottom line is, if you wanted to make a historic and significant announcement and you were trying to decide which group should be the first to hear the news, you probably wouldn't choose Judean shepherds. But apparently, this is part of the point that God is communicating here. Shepherds were outcasts, but God wanted them to be the first to hear the good news about Jesus. So, now that we have a little context, let's read on. Verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Okay, now let's make sure we're picturing this correctly. At this point, there's only one angel, right? And how did this angel appear? It says, the glory of the Lord shone around the whole group. And what do you think that glory looked like? Was it a bright light? Was was it sort of like the northern lights, the aurora borealis? I have no idea. But what I do know is that this moment would have been terrifying, not just for the shepherds, but for any of us. Imagine that you're standing there just doing your job and then all of a sudden a supernatural being shows up surrounded by some otherworldly glow. If that happened to you, what's your next move? Most likely you're going to run for the hills, aren't you? But the angel calms him down and says, hey, there's no reason to be afraid. I have good news for you. And then the angel tells them about Jesus. A savior had been born. And did you notice the angel identified Jesus as the Messiah? The word Messiah would have definitely gotten the attention of the shepherds because even though these guys had been sort of ostracized in their society, the shepherds were still like all Jews. They were waiting and longing for this Messiah. God promised to send this person centuries before. The Messiah would come as a deliverer. He would bring freedom for the people of Israel. So gradually, the shepherd's fear would have turned into excitement. They would have been thinking, could this really be true? Is the Messiah finally here? And the angel wanted wanted them to see it with their own eyes. He gave the shepherds directions for how to find this baby. But before that would happen, God wanted to mark this historic moment. This night was too important to let it go by without a celebration. So here's verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So at first there was only one angel, but now we have an entire company. These angels are members of the heavenly host, and the word host here means army. But this army didn't show up to fight. They came to announce peace. This was a moment in history when everything changed. God was canceling the war between people and himself. 
for hundreds and hundreds of years, all of humanity had been in rebellion against God, but now he was making it possible for that war to end through Jesus. God was inviting anyone and everyone to receive his peace. You may be familiar with the Hebrew word shalom, which is the word for peace. But in the Hebrew context, shalom is not just the absence of war. Shalom is wholeness and healing. It's the restoration of what used to be broken. The shalom that Jesus brings, it works on several levels. First, Jesus can heal the relationship between you and God, but that's not all. Shalom also means wholeness in your relationships with other people. And God's peace, God's shalom, also means healing and wholeness in your relationship with yourself. Do you know what it's like to be at war with yourself? To be disgusted with yourself because you're not who you want to be? Think about what it's like when that war is finally over. This is the kind of peace that God offers through Jesus. Now, I don't know how much of this the shepherds understood, but I do think their response to this event makes a lot of sense. Let's see what they did. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now the appearance of the angels was the most amazing thing the shepherds had seen in their lives up to that point. So what do they do next? Well, first, let's notice what they did not do. Uh, When the angels left, they did not turn to each other and say, wow, that was pretty crazy. I guess we'll just finish our shift here watching the sheep. No, that wasn't even a thought, was it? There was only one thing to do after what they had seen. The only thing that made sense was to drop everything and go find Jesus. In that moment, nothing else mattered. They had to go see this Messiah in person. And once they did... They were dying to share this good news with anyone who would listen. But now, you know what's really crazy? You think about how excited these shepherds were. But the crazy thing is, all of us have every reason to be just as excited as these shepherds. This news is just as great for you and me as it was for the people of Judea 2,000 years ago. We just have to lose the distractions. We have to shake off the familiarity. And we have to understand that Jesus is our source of true joy and peace and hope. So that's where we'll stop with the story. And uh, if we can, let's bring the lights back up, please. Thank you. So is all of this starting to sink in? This is so much more than a story. This is the answer to what we've all been longing for. This idea of a Messiah is not just for ancient Israel. We've all been waiting for this broken world to be made right. If you've lived long enough, you've seen that human beings do not have the ability to fix this world. And we don't have the ability to fix our relationships. Hey, we can't even fix ourselves. We need a deliverer. 
And that's exactly who God has sent. Remember what the angel said, Luke 2, verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So the angel told the shepherds that this baby was the long-awaited Messiah, but the angel also explains that this Messiah is a Savior. Now again, for many of us, the word Savior has become very familiar. So let's take a second and think about what that word means. A Savior is someone who saves, someone who delivers people from their enemies. So who's the enemy here? Who or what is Jesus saving us from? Well, our world is full of enemies, isn't it? We could make a long list of everyone and everything that has hurt us or brought us grief. But in the end, we have to put ourselves right at the top of that list. We've all chosen to be our own enemies because we've all chosen to sin. We've chosen rebellion against God. And because of our sin, we deserve punishment. We deserve death eternal death and hell. But God, God loves us despite what we deserve. And that's why Jesus came into this world. That's why Jesus eventually went to the cross to die and take the punishment that you and I deserved. And so today, if we let him, Jesus will deliver us from death and he'll bring us life. And the life he gives is is more than mere existence. It's more than survival Jesus offers a life that is full of shalom, peace with God, peace with others, peace with ourselves. And the best part is we can begin this kind of life right here and right now, and then it never has to end. It continues on for eternity. This is the good news. The good news of Christmas can bring joy to all people if We're willing to hear it and take it to heart. So I'll ask you again, what difference does Christmas make? If you need some joy in your life, if you need peace or hope, can you really find it in Luke chapter 2? Well, I told you what I believe. I believe that Jesus is our only source of true joy or peace or hope. But what if we're struggling to to find those things as we go through this season? What can we do? Well, you can continue the process that we've started here this morning. It's really not that complicated. If you want to find peace, hope, and joy at Christmas, you just do what the shepherds did. First, you receive the good news. Truly receive it. And then, you share the good news. Now, I should explain what we mean by each of those steps First, how should we receive the good news today? Well, it's going to look different than it did for the shepherds. If you're looking for angels to come visit you, you're probably going to be waiting a while. But the truth is, there's no need for a supernatural announcement anymore. We have the good news of Jesus right here in Scripture, and we can hear it as often as we need to hear it. Now, some of us do need to receive that news for the first time. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, He's calling you to begin a life-changing relationship with Him. And you can do that by responding to what He's already done. First, you choose to believe in Jesus, that He's for real. Believe that He is who the Bible says He is. And then you put your life and your future in His hands. 
then you confess or declare that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. He's not just the Messiah. He is your Messiah. You also need to repent or turn away from your old life. You, you stop living your own way and you start living how God wants you to live. And then you also choose to be baptized. That's when you are immersed or buried in water and you mark the end of an old life and the beginning of new life in Christ. Now, if you need to begin this relationship with Jesus today, we invite you to do that before you leave. Now, many of us here, we have made this commitment to Jesus, but it doesn't take long to realize that we need to receive the good news more than once. We need to go back again and again and remember the great love that Jesus has for us. We need to remember what Jesus has done, and then when all of that sinks in, there's only one response that makes sense. The only natural response is worship, love, and gratitude, and worship. That's what we saw in the shepherds, wasn't it? On their way home, they couldn't stop praising God and giving Him glory for everything they had seen. So that's the first step, receive the good news. But we can't stop there. If Jesus really is our Savior and He's changed our lives forever, we're going to share the good news and we don't have to think about this in terms of obligation or duty. Nobody had to tell the shepherds to go spread the word that Jesus had been born. It was another natural response because they were just so excited about it. The same should be true for us today. At Christmas, we learn that it's our turn to love, to love as we've been loved. Throughout the month of December, Plum Creek has been going through a series called Love Does. And in this series, we've seen that it's not enough to just think about love or talk about love. If we're going to love like God does, we need to stop talking and get to the doing part of our faith. That's why Jesus came into this world. His love for us caused him to do something. So that's the example that we want to follow. And this is actually the fun part of following Jesus. There are so many ways to share the good news and to show his love. We can do that by our words. We can also do that by our actions. And when we show compassion to others in the name of Christ with no strings attached, we're pointing people to a God who loves them unconditionally. All through this series, we made it a goal to come together as a church and show God's love in a practical way. And let me tell you, it has been a joy for me to see Plum Creek do exactly that. For those of you who haven't been here, our church has recently teamed up with a ministry called WISH, and WISH stands for Welcoming International Students Home. This ministry reaches out to international students up at Northern Kentucky University, and we see this as a huge opportunity to share the love of Christ. These students have come from all over the world. They're far from home, they're in a strange culture, and their experience here often leaves them feeling isolated. They come to our country with the same kind of needs that we all have. And their most urgent need is to hear the good news of Christ. So the WISH ministry has been connecting with these students and building relationships for months now. But this outreach has really expanded because of your involvement. If you were here last Sunday, you know what happened. At the end of each service... Hundreds of you went to different stations all over the building to assemble care packages for these international students. You loaded backpacks with things like gloves and hats and ramen noodles. 
You packed welcome boxes with things like pillows and sheets, items that many of these students don't have when they first arrive in the U.S. You made baked goods and blankets. You, you wrote encouraging letters, and you communicated God's love in a tangible way. I want you to know, all combined, we packed over 250 backpacks and welcome boxes, which is just amazing. I also want you to know that many of these bags have already been delivered, as you can see in this picture, and it looks like they've been a hit. And the great part is, this wish ministry is going to continue. I've already heard about some of their plans for next semester. But for those of you who helped last week with our serving project, I want you to think back. When we were all serving together, elementary kids, senior adults, everyone in between, did you notice something? I did. I saw people talking and laughing, enjoying each other. I saw unity. You could even call it shalom. I saw people experiencing the joy of being used by God to share his love. So do you see how that works? When we receive the good news of Jesus, and then we find ways to share his love, share the good news, we get this amazing side effect. God brings us joy. And the more we take our eyes off of ourselves and fix our eyes on Jesus, the more God gives us joy and peace and hope. So I love what happened last Sunday, but I do have to ask, where do we go from here? How will we make it a habit to share the good news? Unfortunately, we don't have a service project planned here today, but I will give you a suggestion. Tomorrow at 4 p.m., Right here in this room, we're going to have our Christmas Eve candlelight service. And it is not too late for you to invite someone to join us. You know, we planned this service thinking about people who aren't here yet. And it's going to be a simple but powerful time. We're going to sing carols. We're going to go back into Scripture and hear that story. And we're going to focus on the meaning of Christmas It's a chance for all of us to let this good news really sink in. And remember, the more we can share that news, the more we find joy. So I do hope that you have a Merry Christmas, and I hope you make some great memories this year. But more than anything else, I hope that you experience the true joy and peace and hope that only comes from knowing Christ and sharing Christ. We've seen how we can do that this morning. So let's spend our last few minutes here focusing on this good news, and let's allow this story to fill us with amazement and wonder and gratitude and worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reason that we are here today. We thank you that we can celebrate this birth that was the beginning of everything changing. Lord, I know that in this room today, we have all kinds of people. Some of us are genuinely excited about this season, and it's just as simple as that. Some of us, though, are stressed or struggling with discouragement or disappointment. And some of us are are feeling grief here today, and and this is just a hard time. Lord, I know wherever we're coming from, whatever the state of our hearts may be today. I know we all need the same thing. 
We need to receive this good news. Not just hear the story, remember it, and move on, but really take it into our hearts to receive what you want us to receive. So Lord, I pray that uh, you'll help us follow the example of the shepherds because they heard it and they received the good news. And they experienced Jesus personally and they were changed forever. They responded naturally with worship and they responded naturally by running around and telling everybody who would listen this this good news. So Lord, help us to be like that. I know that as we follow that example, you'll give us that amazing side effect, a joy and a peace and a hope that transcends our circumstances, even even when it may not make sense. So Lord, uh, for the next few moments here, help us to focus on this story, focus on who you are, what you've done, and why it matters. We pray this in Jesus' name.